for the last week of our series that we've been calling Friendsgiving. I think I actually will revisit this subject in the next year because there were so many things I wanted to cover as I began to study and begin to pray and begin to talk about and begin to examine in my own life about the subject, friends, that I can't get through all of them during this series. And I, I was struggling this week to talk about what to talk about because I knew only had one week left and I wanted to talk about um, boundaries with friends. I wanted to talk about unrealistic expectations when it comes to friendship. I really wanted to talk to you about how to biblically end a friendship. I wanted to talk to you about how to walk away from friendship because sometimes one of the greatest things you can do is walk away from friendships. But there's a right way to walk away and there's a wrong way to walk away. And I think all those are very valid subjects. And I think maybe, again, like I said, we'll explore this next year. I'll, I'll do another series touching on some different subjects. We'll pray about it, see where God would have us to go. But um, today I just want to talk to you about a very simple message. And sometimes the simplest message with the simplest themes are the most impactful and the most practical. And throughout this series, we have said over and over and over and over and over and over, you are now, or you soon shall be what your friends are. Show me the five people outside of your spouse and your co-workers that you spend the most time with, and I'll show you the average of who you are. I'll show you the average of your finances. I'll show you the average of your political views. I'll show you the average of your ambition. I'll show you the average of your purpose because we become like the people that we do life with. People can argue about that. People can fight with me about that. People can email me and text me because every time that I make that statement, somebody gets offended. But the reality is, is you are now or you soon shall be who your friends are. If you hang out with a group of people that are drama nonstop, then baby, I hate to tell you, look in the mirror, you're drama nonstop. If you look around people who are depressed and sad all the time, then I can guarantee you people view you as depressed and sad all the time. If you hang around people who are successful in the business world, chances are really good you're successful in the business world. You hang around a bunch of men that are great husbands, chances are you're a really good husband. You are now, or you soon shall be what your friends are. We almost have have an antenna in us that draws us to people like us. We don't like that. We don't have to accept that, but it doesn't change the reality of that situation. And throughout this series, I've said over and over and over, what if I told you that you were one friend away from changing the course of your life? What if you were one friend away from changing the course of of your life. And I believe as you examine that group, and I'm not saying you should go home and do this, so please don't say that I'm saying that, but if you took the weakest person in that group and you replaced them with someone stronger in your group, over the next 12 months you would see your life radically change. But we have this weird sense when it comes to friends. Well, they've been with me forever. It doesn't matter that they're unhealthy to our lives, that they bring no value to our life. We've known them since we were 12, and so, man, we keep them around. I met them, and I like them, and my wife likes her wife, and I like him, and man, we just have to be together. But the question is, are they benefiting your life? You are now, or you soon shall be who your friends are. It always 
happens that way. I can watch somebody come into this church. I, the running joke in this church is if you make it three times, you're family. I don't know what it is about that magical number, but man, once people come the first time, they're scared to death. Swear they're never coming back to Action Church. Something happens during out the week, and like, man, that church could not be as dysfunctional as it appeared. I've got to go back one more time and just see, was it a weird Sunday? They come back the second Sunday, and they're like, holy smokes, it is as dysfunctional as I thought it was. But something happens the third week. You're like, man, I just feel drawn to that dysfunction because I think normally what it is is people like, I like to go to that church, but I don't feel so bad about myself when I go to that church. And the third time they come in, suddenly they're family and they're stuck. And I can watch them over the next two to three weeks after that. And I can watch the people that they begin to hang around. And I can tell you almost everything you need to know about them. Those that have a servant's heart will immediately cling to those that are serving. Those that have a heart of division and conflict will automatically cling to the very few people around here that love conflict. You say, yeah, people around here that cause division, well, they don't last very long. But we do. We have a philosophy, one of our values, we don't really have values, but if we had values, one of our values is run to confrontation. We're not going to sit around and talk about it and avoid it all day. We're just going to make sure that we're in unity and we're in accord. And so I'm getting ahead of myself. I was going to talk about that next week. But we are now. We soon shall be what our friends are. That's how important I believe true, authentic friendship is. We live in a day and time where the word friend has been watered down. Facebook has watered down the word friend. We have 700 people that we're friends with on Facebook. Most of them we don't even know. Some of you, like me, you're at the limit. You can only have 5,000 friends on Facebook, and you're at your limit. I don't know who any of them are. But, man, they're my friend. We've watered down the power of friend. The Bible has so much to say about the subject friend. The Bible says this in Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become what? Let's try that again. I know it's a white church, but let's act like we got a little bit of soul and a little bit of rhythm today and talk back. Help them out, Kevin, today. Hey, walk with the wise and become what? Wise. I don't understand the Bible. It's so complicated, so I just don't read it. Well, here's what that means. It means walk with wise people and you become wise. It means you are now or you soon shall be what your friends are. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Have you ever noticed those people in life who are always in some kind of dilemma? Their life is always falling apart. There's always some kind of drama in their life. It's almost like everybody in their circle is just like that. Because a companion of fools suffers harm. The Bible's not complicated. We just don't like what it has to say. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Let me give you a statement today that maybe will change your mindset and maybe give you the reality and how serious I am about the subject of friendships. I believe you might be one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. You might be one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. 
But it's got to be the right friend if you're changing your destiny for the right. The wrong friend can make your destiny the wrong destiny. I love the story of Paul. If you don't know who Paul is, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. But before Paul was Paul, his name was Saul, and his job was to go around the world and kill Christians. He was the most feared man in all the land. He was Saul, and one day on the road, he's on Damascus to kill Christians, and the God comes to him and exposes himself to Saul, and Saul repents of his sins and realizes that God is real, begins to follow. God changes his name to Paul and runs into a little problem. Paul's committed to following Christ. He's changed the direction of his life. But none of the Christ followers of the time believed that. They thought it was a trick. They thought it was a ploy. They thought it was Paul's way of getting closer to them where then he could then persecute them for their beliefs. Paul had no friends at this time But then something happened. The Bible says when Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, naturally so. Imagine some dude rolling up in the back of this building. And he's got a reputation for walking in churches and killing people. Now, he'd make it about two steps in this church. We wouldn't find out if he had changed or not because he'd probably end up dead. That's just the way this church rolls. But for the three of you who aren't carrying a gun today... You might be fearful for a minute. (laughs) Saul came to Jerusalem. He tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. (laughs) Verse 27, but I've been telling you for 10 years now, I'm going to do a series called I Like Big Butts because there's some powerful butts in the Bible. The Bible says, but... Barnabas, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul in his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them, moved freely about Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Check it out. But Barnabas, Paul's life was changed by one person who came along and said, I believe in him, I will vouch for him, I will put my seal upon him, I have seen him in action, accept him as one of your own. The word Barnabas means son of encouragement. Barnabas came along and he began to disciple Saul. He began to disciple Paul. He began to build him up in the ways of God. He began to network with him and put him in the right situations. And his life was changing. Most of the New Testament was written for one reason and one reason only because Saul had a friend. He had a friend who saw something in him that nobody else saw and that nobody else would believe. And he put his stamp on him and it changed the course of Paul's life. That's the power of friendship. Man, you might be one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. I love the story of David. It's probably one of my favorite people in all the Bible. You know, David was a little shepherd boy. When Goliath the giant challenged the army, David came out when all the soldiers were scared and he killed the giant with a sling. 
He was a little shepherd boy who came along and was anointed to be the next king. He was the man who cheated on his wife and not only cheated on his wife, had her husband killed. And yet God said he was a man after his own heart. He was the man who rebuilt the temple. He was the man who took Israel to being what Israel was in those days. He was the man who started with nothing and became the greatest king many believe ever. And throughout the course of his life, you will see that he had friends along the way. And you'll see what changed the destiny of his life was those friends. I want to give you, and we're going to get out of here because we have a funeral here today. We're giving away 300 meals to families today. Those are going on simultaneously because we don't do anything simple. Hey, let's bring a bunch of people in and give them turkeys. Oh, hey, we'll put the funeral over on the kids' side. Ken, whose funeral we're doing, would probably laugh at that and dig it. Um, But David became who he was because of the friends that he had. He had three types of friends at three different stages in his life. And I told you the first week, the biggest mistake when we get friends is we think friends are there to fill every void in our life, and that is not the case. The only person who can fill every void in your life is God, not even your spouse can fill all the voids in your life. And the problem with some of you with your friends is you go all in in every area of your life with your friends and they let you down in one of those areas and your expectations are the one who put you in that position. So I've learned over the years that I have different friends for different aspects of my life. It doesn't make those people bad, but there's some people that are good in certain areas and, and not so good in certain areas. There's certain areas I want to learn from this individual and I don't want to learn from that individual. But three types of friends you need. Three types of friend that every person needs if you're going to change your destiny. You need a Samuel. And that's a friend who makes you better. You say, I don't understand what you're going to. Don't worry, we're going to break it down. We're not just going to throw up fancy little words for you, not explain to you. David's a little shepherd boy. He's running around. God tells Samuel he's a prophet to go find and anoint the next king, even though Saul was the king at the time. The natural lineage of that time would have been Jonathan to become the king. That was Saul's son. But God knew that Jonathan was not the one, and Saul and his wickedness was no longer fit to be king. So he told the prophet Samuel to go out among Israel and find the person that God told him to anoint king. So he shows up at the house of Jesse. Jesse has all these boys. And they're good-looking boys, and they're successful boys, and they're young, strapping boys. And the Bible goes into great depth about how handsome they were, and how strong they were, and how successful they were. And they line them up in a single-file line, and Samuel walks up and down the line. And something's not right. Everything on the outside that you could ever want to be a king is standing there in front of him. And he looks at Jesse and says, do you not have another son somewhere? Jesse's like, yeah, Youngest, he's a little shepherd, the, little, the runt of the family. He's out in the field tending the sheep. Samuel says, send for him. I want to see him. Huh. David walks up and look what the Bible says in 1 Samuel. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. 
The last one that anyone expected to be the one. The one based on external factors. Was not the one. Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel saw something in David that nobody else was able to see. He wasn't looking at how tall he was. He wasn't looking at how strapping he was. He wasn't looking at how sophisticated he was. He wasn't looking at how smart he was. He was looking on the inside and Samuel saw something in him that nobody else saw. If you're going to change the course of your destiny, I'm telling you, you've got to have a friend that sees the potential in you. That's got to see the greatness that is in you. I don't know if I've ever told this story. So I moved to Canton, Georgia. Oh, I've been here 10 years. I was there two years. I'm 45. I moved here when I was 45 subtract 28. How many years is that? 45 subtract 28. Somebody. 17 years ago, I moved to Canton, Georgia to start a church. Before I started that church, I got sent to what was called a boot camp for guys starting churches. And you show up and there's 17 families there, couples there, whatever you want to call it, teams there, because it was your whole team of people that were starting a church. I didn't know this at the time we found out the first day, that at the end of the assessment period, it was seven days, I believe, the team that they felt had it together the most, that had all the tools, that had the team, that had the leader, would receive a $250,000 grant to go start their church. 17 teams. They rated you at the end. The guy who won had just graduated. He was a Division I quarterback. He was a good-looking dude. I mean, I ain't gay, but if I was, man, I'd have probably been hitting on him. I mean, he was strapping. I mean, blonde hair, part blue eyes, beautiful wife. He had the perfect kid. You know the kids that you can't stand because they all match? And they don't get dirty, and they say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. And he had this team, and at that time, I won't go into names, but the governor of Georgia's son was on his team. So he already had like $750,000 in fundraising money to go start a church. And he came in first. He got the grant. I didn't come in second. I didn't come in third. I didn't come in fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, I came in 17th place. I left that camp, started the church that I started in this community. And 12 years, or 12 years in, 12 months in, 13 of the 17 churches had closed their doors, never got started. Five years in, I don't say this to brag on me, I'm not, it's not what I'm trying to tell you. Five years in, the church that I had started was named the 13th fastest growing church in the country 
And the church that had the million dollars never broke 100 people in attendance. Now, at that time, my talent was way bigger than my character, and I imploded, so maybe that was really saw something I didn't see. But the point is, I'll never forget a guy looking at me and saying, are you sure God called you to start a church? Well, I was. Are you positive God called you to start a church? They literally did everything in their power to talk me out of it. But during that course of time, I had somebody come along who I met just in passing one day. And we hit it off. And he pastored the first fastest growing church in America. And he would call me every week and say, man, how you doing? I'm frustrated, man. Blah, 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 blah. Man, I, I came in 17th out of 17 at this camp. He said, well, who was leading the camp? And I said, this, this, and he goes, have any of those guys ever started a church? I said, no. He said, well, that's why they're teaching you. For those who can't teach and those who can do. He said, so why do you care? He said, man, I believe in you. Go do it. And I said, man, I don't have any money and no team. He said, man, we believe in you. In the first 12 weeks I started that church, they sent a team down from Anderson, South Carolina, every week to run the kids' area and to play the music and be the greeters. You showed up the first Sunday like we had 400 people. We didn't, 350 of them from South Carolina. But they saw something in me. And he began to introduce me to other pastors that were pastoring fast-growing churches. And they took me under the wing and they saw the potential in me. And I'm telling you, there's something powerful about somebody coming along who makes you better. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. The problem is, especially us as men, women aren't necessarily so bad about this, but men are really bad about it. We all think we're the alpha. <coughs> and so we don't want to be around people who are more successful than us or have got it together more than us because it points out the inadequacies in our life. We won't swallow our pride to think, man, we've got to learn. For all the bad qualities I have, and man, we can go a lot of bad qualities. I've always said, man, I've always tried to put myself around people who were further along than me. I have reached out to people who were further along than me. When I started in the business world, I wrote 25 millionaires. 25. Telling them what I wanted to do, blah, blah. Asked if I could come to their town, buy them lunch, and have 30 minutes of their time and ask them four questions. I won't take more than 30 minutes of your time. I got four questions. One responded. One. What'd you do? I went and met with the one. And I bought his lunch. And at 30 minutes in, I said, well, thank you so much. He said, where are you going? I said, I told you I only needed 30 minutes of your time. Sit down, son. We got all day. And I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote notes after notes. And recently found all those notes, those black notebooks with all those notes in them. Someone who saw something in me when I didn't see anything in me. When I lost everything 
and was on the front page of the paper and went from pastoring one of the biggest churches to literally being homeless in a course of 24 hours. I had 13 people. I was pastoring a church in the thousands. I had 13 people. Remind me the impact I had had in their life. Remind me that God was not done with me. To push me to be better. I'm telling you, if you don't have somebody in your life making you better, if you don't have a friend who will get in your face and make you better, and who is further along in the journey, further along in the marriage, further along in their finances, further along in the parenting, further along in purpose, further along in character, further along in whatever goal it is that you have, you'll never change the course of your destiny. You are now or you soon shall be what your friends are. Who in your group makes you better? Who in your group sees something in you that you don't even see in yourself? Who in your group is your Barnabas who comes along and encourages you whenever we... Because here's what we live. We live in a society who loves to tell you why you'll never make it. We live in a society who tells you, man... Fall in line, go work your nine to five, come home, and be like everybody else. And when you come along and you want to do something different or you have a purpose or you have a dream, they don't understand that. So you better have someone who looks at you when everyone else says, man, that guy's an idiot. You say, you need someone who says, yeah, you're an idiot, but I see some potential in there. You're You're an idiot. But I think we can work with something. Anybody watch Yellowstone? Anybody watch Yellowstone? Raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand. If you're not watching Yellowstone, you need to get right with God. It's that simple. But there was something staggering to me last week. There's this character on Yellowstone named Rip. A lot of ladies say, I resemble Rip. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. They do. No, trust me, they don't. But Rip is the, is the man, you know, he's the guy that's going to b- kill you, break your neck, and all the ladies go crazy for him, and he's, he's with this other lady, and she's crazy, and, um, and, but the crazy lady brings home an orphan boy. Boy ain't got nothing, brings him home, has her a project for two or three days, and after two or three days, she's over it because he smarted off to her and blah, blah, blah. She's got him sleeping in the barn. But Rip looks at her, and man, it stopped me cold. If I could have stopped it and paused it, I would have, but I can't because you got to watch it live. But I ain't going to lie to you. I went back to YouTube to hear it again because it was that good. He said, I'll be patient with him. He said, there's a man in there somewhere, and sometimes it just takes a man to help a boy find the man in himself. That's the problem today. We got a bunch of grown-ass boys who've never had any men come along and show them how to be men. Well, they don't have anybody who makes them better. Lord knows we got parents that aren't doing a great job of being parents. We got parents who'd rather be their friends. But they don't understand the definition of friend. Maybe they should listen to this sermon. 
I'm telling you, you better have somebody in your life who makes you better. That can be uncomfortable at times. They can be hurt your feelings at times. <clears throat> the first church I ever worked at worked on a staff of about 15 people. And everybody would always give me a rough time. They'd be like, you're the pastor's favorite, blah, 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 blah. One day the pastor went and said, let me tell you why Gary gets more attention than any of y'all. He said, because when I chew y'all out, you go pout for a month. When I chew Gary out, he pouts for an hour, then comes back and does just what I chewed him out about. Takes you guys a month to learn what he learns in an hour. When you realize that someone will come along and make you better, and then you realize as the person making them better, they're willing to listen. It's amazing what you're willing to pour into them. Someone asked me recently, have you talked to so-and-so about business? I said, I tried to. They said, what do you do? He had it all together. Well, you ought to try again. I said, I'm not trying again. He who has never started a business knows everything. So I'm going to let him go out and fail. Not that I want him to fail, but he knows everything. He doesn't want to be better at this time. And I'm not saying that in a judgmental way. I've been there, done that. Now, I got another friend who's been out in business now for about six, seven, eight months. And nonstop, not that I have all the answers for everything, but I can tell you everything to, not to do. Because if, if it's a mistake you can make, I have made it. All the time, hey, man, can we meet about this? Can we meet about that? When I tell that person, and not that I know all the answers, but if you're going to come to me for my advice and not listen to my advice, you're an asshole. You ask me questions and not going to do anything about it, so I'm not going to waste my time. This person comes, they do, and I pour into them. Why? Because I want to see them better. I want to see this person successful in business. I want to see this person successful as a father. I want to see this person successful in their marriage, and they hunger and they want it too. So David had a Samuel in him. He saw something in him that no one else saw. Even his own father said, are you sure? Have you not seen his brothers? That's David. Samuel saw something. Who in your life sees something? Hey, I'm going to tell you something else you better have. You better have a Jonathan in your life. A friend who helps you find spiritual strength. Jonathan came along in David's life at one of the lowest points in David's life. David has been anointed king. The problem of being anointed king is there was already a king and his name was Saul. He wasn't just going to give up his throne. Saul's hunting David down. There was ever a time where David was questioning God's will. It was at that moment. There was ever a time where he was at a low point at that moment. And Jonathan came along. And here to me is what's powerful about Jonathan. David had been anointed king. Jonathan should have been the next king. He was Saul's son. But he wasn't jealous. He wasn't angry. The Bible says him and David had a covenant together. He knew that God's hand was upon David. He knew that God's calling was upon David. It wasn't about Jonathan's ego. It was about God's will. And Jonathan was willing to come along and do whatever it took to help David fulfill the purpose that God had in his life. 
You better find a friend who helps you find spiritual strength. When David was in the desert, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son went out to David and helped him find strength in God. You need a friend who makes you better, but you need a friend also who's going to come alongside of you and point you back to God. They're going to remind you that God is in control, that God is in charge. They're not going to always tell you what you want to hear. They're going to tell you what the Bible or what God knows you need to hear. And can I go ahead and tell you there's a lot of times what the Bible says I need to do is not what I want to do. And what the Bible knows I need to hear is not what in my flesh I want to hear. I am a carnal person. Matter of fact, most of the time, my natural reaction is actually the exact opposite to what the Bible says. But you need that friend in your life. I have a friend in my life who I call. And when I call him, I know he's going to give me the biblical answer. I have a friend who called, you do me wrong and I call one of my friends, they know I'm calling to let's go kill that person. You need that person. But I also need the biblical friend who's going to keep me out of jail and say, hey, man, what about when you mess up? Yeah, but you know what this person did to me? But how many times have you done that to other people, not even realized it? And they forgave you and God forgave you. All right, you can do whatever you want to do. I'm going to love you no matter what. But I mean, you know, what's the Bible say about it? One amazing thing about the Bible is you'll learn the Bible is so contrary to what society says we ought to do. My flesh says, you hit me, I'm hitting you back. The Bible says, turn the other cheek. The Bible says, take your coat, give me your shirt too. Sometimes you need that friend who's going to come along and examine everything through a biblical point of view with you. You need somebody further along than you on your journey. If you don't have someone, I love in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that 3,000 people were saved, and it says they, 3,000 that were saved, they devoted themselves to the teaching of the Word. Let me give you something that's contrary to popular. It's not my job to feed you the Word of God. If the only Bible you get my 45 minutes on Sunday morning, I don't care if I was the best Bible teacher in the world, you ain't getting enough. It's your job to feed yourself. You eat three meals a day, not one meal a week. Some of you eat three meals a day, plus a couple bowls of ice cream, some little Debbie Christmas trees, and some snacks in between. That's obvious. Preaching to myself right now. Told someone that I said, I did good yesterday. I only ate three little Debbie Christmas trees instead of five. Now, I believe those are ordained by God because they're only for a season. And God brings them around for a month for you to get all you need that will last you for a year. But biblically, that's probably not true, so I better have that friend who comes along and speaks truth into me. Who's the person in your life that you turn to for spiritual strength? They want to see the best in you biblically. They they don't want to see you be a good husband. They want to see you be a godly husband husband. They don't want to see you be a good dad. They want to see you be a godly 
dead. They want to see you biblically successful. And let me go ahead and tell you biblical success and society success are way different. Society says success is how much can you obtain. Biblical success is how much can you give away. Who in your life is further along than you? They're going to open up the Word of God and show you biblically what you ought to do. They're going to pray with you and not just say, hey, I'll be praying for you. When they say, I'll be praying for you, you know they're going to call down heaven on your behalf. David had this person. David was weak. David knew that Samuel had seen the best. He knew that God had told Samuel to anoint him king, but he was frustrated in his walk. He was tired in his walk. And I tell you that if you live this life long enough and you chase your dreams, there's going to be times that you feel tired and you feel wore out. And there's going to be times you feel beat up. And I don't care how great a person you are and how positive you are in life, there's going to be times you enter a depressive state and a time of just wanting to quit and you need someone to come along like Jonathan and help him find strength in God. There's going to be times in life the only strength you can find is in God. There's times no matter what I'm going through, I can't get strength from her. There's times she can't get strength from me. There's times in life that I can't get strength from some of y'all. No matter how good you are, no matter how much you want to give me strength, you got to point me back to God. I need that friend in my life a lot. Because, man, when I'm not pointed directly at God, I tend to get in trouble. I tend to do things I shouldn't do. I tend to say things, I say things I shouldn't say even when I'm pointing to God. Who am I kidding? You got to have that friend. You're one friend away from changing your destiny, but it's got to be the right friends. And they've got to serve. Notice that Samuel couldn't do what Jonathan could do. And Jonathan couldn't do what Samuel could do. Different friends for different areas. Don't miss that. That's why some of your friendships are unhealthy or why you're lacking in some areas of your life because you're depending on one friend to meet all your needs. Lastly, and I'm going to tell you we're getting out of here early today. It's 11.05. If you're a first-time guest, do not get used to this. And I will make up for it next week. I'm preaching for two hours and 17 minutes. Vision Sunday, baby, 10 years old. I hate this friend, but you better have a Nathan in your life, a friend who will tell you the truth. David becomes king. David gets prideful. David gets egotistical. David begins to not do what a king should do. Samuel says at a time when the kings would be off at war, David was up on his roof. So David's army is out on the battlefield, and the king, he's got comfortable and he's in the palace. And he's chilling on the roof, and he looks over on another roof, and he sees a woman bathing. And instead of looking away and going back down, he begins to stare at the woman bathing and decides he's the king and he can do whatever he wants to do. And he brings the woman to his house. He has sex with her. In the process of having sex with her, he gets her pregnant. 
and realizes, man, this is going to be a problem because this woman's husband was in David's army and he was off on the battlefield fighting. So how's he going to explain she's pregnant? So David, doing what any good person would do, he tries to cover up his sin. He brings her husband home and says, man, you've been so loyal to me. Come home and enjoy your wife. But the man was so loyal, all he would do was sleep outside the house. He wouldn't go in the house because he knew he should have been on the battlefield. So when he realized Uriah won't go in and have sex with his wife, where he can say, man, surprise, you got a kid. David sends him back. This is how egotistical David was and how out of control David was. He gives Uriah a letter, the king's seal on it. He says, take this to the commander. It was a death notice. It was to the commander when he opens it and said, put Uriah on the front lines. Why on the front lines? Because people on the front lines die. He made him carry his own death sentence. Uriah dies, David takes Bathsheba as his wife. Oh, look, she's pregnant. Nobody's ever going to find out. Then Nathan comes along, and Nathan's a prophet of God, and he runs into his pal David, and he says, hey, I'm going to tell you a story. He said, all right, tell me a story. He said, I heard about this shepherd that's got thousands of sheep. And travelers came along to his house. And he brought the travelers into his house and was going to feed them. But instead of going out and killing one of his thousand sheep, he went next door. The man was a poor man. He only had one sheep. And he killed that man's sheep to feed the travelers, even though he had thousands of sheep. And David becomes enraged. Where's this man? We'll kill him. How dare this man who could have anything that he wants! Take the one thing this man had. And Nathan looks at him in 2 Samuel 12, 7. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. You could have any woman you wanted. You could have any possession you want. You're the king. And yet you chose to take this man's one possession, this soldier who's loyal to you's possession, Remember, David was the king. That took testicular fortitude. Balls. On Nathan's part. To confront David and let him know I know about your sin and you're wrong for your sin. That's the truth that needed to be said. There's times we come along and we speak truth into people's lives. Everyone doesn't need to always know that we speak that truth into their life. We just know that we spoke that truth into their life. We all mess up, we all screw up, but we all need people in our life who are going to speak truth to us. The truth is painful, and it's not even our responsibility to make sure they do anything with that truth. It's just our job to speak it. David ends up getting his life together because of this. He couldn't go back and change what he did. But he gets his life together as a result of this because he had a friend who was going to speak truth to him. When was the last time you had a friend that would speak truth to you? You're dropping the ball in this area. I had a friend call me recently. He called me joking and said, Man, your basement's free now, huh? Your mother-in-law moved out. I said, It's free. Oh, don't, don't fill it up yet. I might need a place to stay. 
I'm not going to bring that friend up here, but ask that friend what I told him. I said, you're not coming to my house to stay. You need to get your crap together. Well, so-and-so's mad. I said, they should be mad. I didn't say it from a place of hatred. I didn't say it from a place of anger. I didn't say it from a place of meanness. I said it from a place of love because that person needed to hear the truth in that moment. And that person has spoken truth to me. You know what that's called? It's called friendship. If you can't speak truth into someone else's life, they're not your friend. The truth. Now, here's the other thing. Make sure you're their friend before you speak the truth. Some of you think it's your job to speak truth into everyone's life, and you haven't earned that honor to speak truth into their life. I just told them what they need to hear. You don't have enough deposits in their bank to speak truth into their life. God, God didn't name you the truth bearer of Canton. I had to learn that. It's not my job to speak truth into everyone's life, no matter how bad I want to. That's a right that you earn. The Bible says this in Proverbs 27, an open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Man, that's a good verse. I forgot how good that one was. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. You know the great thing about a wound from a friend? is It'll help patch you back up. That kiss from the enemy, they stab you in your back. The people I've done the most for in my life have done me the wrongest. So the question is, who in your life is living up to those friendships? Who's the Samuel that will make you better? Who's the Jonathan that helps you find spiritual strength? Who's the Nathan that tells you the truth? It's possible for it to be all one person, but I doubt it. I doubt it. It's possible for one person to have two of those characteristics, but I doubt it. But you need them. And many times, their strength in one of these areas will be their weakness in the other area. Like the friend who tells you the truth, many times it's hard for the truth seer to be the friend who, who makes you better. Because they don't see the good in you because they see the truth in you. And they can't be both. A lot of times it's hard for the person to speak truth to be the, the strong spiritual person because the strong spiritual person, a lot of times, especially with our indoctrination in the, the church today, we feel like we've got to be passive with people. And so they won't be that person. The person with the spiritual strength many times will be so reliant on God that they won't see the best in you where you can go out and do your own self. They'll, they'll coddle you. So you've got to have them in every area. You're one friend away from changing your destiny. You are now or you soon shall be what your friends are. What type of friends do you have? If your friends don't fall under one of these three categories, chances are real good they're not the type of friends you need. And I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. But if it does, tough. 
That's the reality of the situation. You'll become better because your friends make you better. Iron sharpens iron, friends sharpen friends.